0: Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Podcouch, where we talk about all things parenting and mental health. After you listen today, please rate, review, and subscribe. Today, I am so excited to have on Dr. Lisa Bravo. She is known as the Teen Whisperer and is a highly acclaimed psychotherapist, speaker, author, and teacher. She holds a doctoral degree in behavioral health and maintains a private practice in Scottsdale, Arizona. She is an expert in family dynamics and adolescent behavior. Dr. Bravo also spends time training the next generation of counselors, most recently through the graduate counseling program at Arizona State University. She is a regular consultant to various media and news outlets, academic institutions, and behavioral health organizations around the country. Dr. Bravo is the author of The Bravo Effect, which is about raising extreme teens. The book is out now. Welcome, Dr. Bravo. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I am so excited to talk to you about this book. I have to say I just finished it this morning and um, it's excellent and really nicely laid out and has great information. I really think this is a much needed handbook for any parent who either is going to have a teenager or has teenagers. So I want to start off with this poem that I think you wrote called See Me Anyway, which I love. I love it so much. So can you tell us about that and how did that come to be?
1: The poem is really about sort of the dynamic that happens between parents and teenagers, that push and pull that happens And the chaos sort of that ensues when you have a teenager who's going through difficulties and you're trying to navigate together how to parent this, often in that sort of dynamic, that intense connection that happens through the chaos, I I kind of call it the dance that you do with your teenager, there's often this fear, I think, that teenagers have about if I'm not going through this chaos with my parent, am I still going to be seen Am I still going to have a connection? So I don't think it's a conscious thing. I think it's more in terms of the dynamic that evolves between a parent and child. But often what I've seen in my practice and with teenagers is that they they really have a hard time letting go of that dynamic, because that's when they get the most intense connection. So the the poem was really written on the heels of a really rough day in the office, having seen several teenagers and several burned out parents who were just tired of all of this behavior already, and they just want everything to be back to normal. And I just started thinking about, you know, there really is no normal when you're a teenager. It's it's a constantly shifting uh, dynamic that needs to be addressed in a much different way. And I was just really inspired that night and just took pen to paper and and wrote the poem.
0: Well, it's great.
1: I think anyone who
0: uh, reads this book, don't skip that part. It's right in the very beginning because it's it's longer or I would have read it, but uh, Mm -hmm. it is about uh, the dance of a teen and their parents and ultimately asking the question, if I am not this loud, Will you see me anyway?
1: Mm-hmm. So uh,
0: it was really beautiful. You talk about your book is called The Bravo Effect. And mm-hmm. um, Bravo, you, you break it down into a framework. So can you just introduce us to this idea? How did this come to be? And what exactly do all these letters stand for?
1: So I really wanted parents to have a way to just plug something in that was really simple to, to a, a framework for them to look at when they're trying to understand and evaluate behavior and relationship with their teenager. BRAVO is an acronym, and it helps me remember because it's also my last name, <laughs> but it's, it's an acronym that stands for Behavior, Relationships, Attitudes, Values, and Opportunities, and through those five components, I, I walk parents through those five components and how to look at the relationship and the dynamics that are taking place with their teenager through those five components. With behavior, uh, I really believe that you know we behavior is how teenagers get our attention. And that is their first way of communicating. It's not through words, even though we expect it to be through words. I think uh, teenagers communicate through their behavior. So if we look at behavior as communication, rather than um, look at it through kind of the lens of just dis- needing discipline or needing us to stop it, or how are they resisting? But we look at it in terms of how they're c- trying to communicate with us. We have a much better way of understanding and aligning what's going on beneath the surface for them. And then that also sort of informs the relationship. So that's the next piece of this is, you know, where is our relationship with our teenager? How do they perceive the relationship? How do we perceive the relationship? How are we sort of interacting as, as a unit, as a as a kind of a systemic unit? And then attitudes, is is interesting because it's more like a yours mine ours kind of approach so what is your teenager's attitude about a certain situation what is the parents attitude and do they differ are they the same how do they how does that attitude you know sort of drive what happens next let, let me pause
0: you there sure um because i have a 13 year old uh, i work with a lot of tweens and teens and mm-hmm. You know, just Saturday night, I was out to dinner with um, a couple of other moms who all have teenagers, 13 and 14 year olds. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: one of the things that we were all relating on that we hadn't related on before was how negative they are. Mm -hmm. Like all they do, it's like the glasses have empty all the time. Mm -hmm. And it was almost surprising to me how universally they were like, oh, yeah. And every example was like, oh, yeah. Yep. I've been through that. Mm -hmm. And so that's a good example of their attitude. I think right now, let's say is very negative, very down. Everything stinks, right? Mm -hmm. Teachers suck. They don't know how to teach. School Mm -hmm. sucks. Everything does. Uh, Spring break wasn't long enough was a complaint I just recently got. Mm -hmm. Like everything is the, is the downside. Mm -hmm. And then my attitude, especially having a teenager is like every morning's a new morning. going to try to start and end the day positively. And the things that happen in between is just Mm -hmm. part of the development. So I feel like I bring a good attitude and a very open, positive attitude, and then you're met with the negativity. So I'm curious, what would you do with that?
1: How do you, how do you work with that? Well, I think that's a great question because I do think um, lots of times kids, you know, they do have this negative framework and, you know, in On the heels of the pandemic, I think we also have sort of set the stage in a way as parents of some of us, I think, have over-identified with them in some ways. You know, we had a much different experience in our childhood, so we feel sad for our teenagers that they're not going to get what we had. I think in some ways, it's really important to help teenagers. You know, being a teenager is a lot about figuring out what we're in control of and what we're not in control of. (laughs) And so there's that's why there's always seems to be so many power struggles and so much resistance to what we want um, for them as their parents. And so what I've noticed is if we can align with with our kids in and when they say, wow, this, you know, I'm so disappointed, or this sucks, or this teacher doesn't like me, and we can just really align with them like with their emotion that they're expressing in those moments, like, you know, that you must be really sad. It sounds like you're disappointed and really giving, filling in the blanks to build their competency around emotional language. They're going to have a much better way of managing that negativity. I also think negativity is also an opportunity for us to understand that, that they're struggling And to allow them to struggle. So many parents are afraid to let their kids struggle through things. The problem with that is eventually, you know, that's how we build resiliency. That's how we build emotional muscle around things. So if we don't learn how to struggle healthy in a healthy way, it's very difficult for teenagers as they get older to get through things as they meet challenges. So sometimes when they're negative, I think it's okay to just say, you know what? I can hear that you're really feeling miserable right now and you're really sad that this didn't work out for you. And I just want you to know I'm here to support you and I know that you've got it and if you need me, I'm here. So you're really, instead of being a cheerleader, you're really just aligning with them in that moment and not trying to cheer them up all the time and fix them.
0: You know, I think for parents that are, are listening I want to keep the examples really real because as I hear you talking, you know, right now I'm not dealing with something with my teenager. So I'm like, right. Oh yeah. But then when, when you're in the moment,
1: mm-hmm. even
0: when you're being intentional, it is hard. So, uh, last night my daughter was upset, didn't want to go to school today. And, uh, I said, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, but you do need to go to school. And I did try a lot of empathy. I know we we're just mm-hmm. coming off of a break. It's probably mm-hmm. hard to transition back. Mm-hmm. I totally get it. We're in the home stretch now. And then she said, you told me that you're here for me to help me. Mm-hmm. That you asked me, what could you do? I'm telling you what you could do. And she was really mm-hmm. upset. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh damn, I think she's kind of got me on this one. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and I said, you know, I, I hate to like, uh, I'll help you in other ways, mm-hmm. right? But sometimes the way that they want help, let's just say might be something that's not reasonable or maybe not doable. How do you right. deal with that?
1: Right. I think part of it is, you know, as parents, we try to be their problem solvers all the time. But I think when they become tweens and teenagers, they really have a their, their need for us shifts and they really need us to collaborate with them and help them problem solve. And I think that's a big piece of, you know, moving from being the teacher or the person who tells them where to go and where to be um, and moving from that place to the place of, you know, I understand that you don't want to go to school today. And you know what? If I had the year you had, I wouldn't want to go either. But sometimes we have to do, there's things we have to do and we have to figure out how to get through it. So how can I help you get through it? You know, not going to school is not... Is not going to happen today. You have to go to school, but tell me what we what's one thing that's in your control, or one thing I can do for you to support you so you can get there today and you can have the best version of the day that you can. Um, Mm -hmm. So maybe just breaking it down first, and I think empathizing is really important. But I also think just saying, you know, it's it's required that you go to school. Um, Sometimes I used to say to my teenagers, you know. Sometimes you have to do what you have to do so you can do what you wanna do. And I also plan hooky days with my kids. And that's something I would also consider um, thinking about with your kids. If their grades are stable and they've, they've been doing pretty well, every quarter I used to let my kids plan a hooky day. And that would be a day where I would pick them up at school. I, or I'd, I mean, I'd call them in from school. We would just plan a day just to be together. And they would look forward to it. And it was almost like a reward at the end of the quarter. If their grades were stable and they'd been going to school, it wasn't a problem for me to take them out for a day every quarter. Yeah, that's super fun. Mm-hmm.
0: I like that idea. I remember one I, I remember one person used to do that. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I've never done that. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so uh, I think you have to tell us what V and O mean. And then I'm going to ask you something different.
1: Okay. So V is for value. Um, I think it's, it's about how we, what we're valuing in that moment, what we're valuing about our relationship with our child in that moment, how that child is valuing us and how they're valuing the situation. I think lots of times our perspective can be a lot different than theirs. Um, I like to tell the story um, I tell the story in the book about a teenager uh, that I recently, you know, saw that got in trouble for vaping at school and he wouldn't give up the names of the other kids that were in the bathroom with him and his parents were really upset with him um, because he was gonna have more consequences. And long story short, we ended up having a discussion about what he was valuing in that moment. And he was valuing loyalty and he was valuing integrity and he was valuing not giving up his friends. And it's really sometimes hard for parents to look at it from a different angle. Now that doesn't mean he didn't have consequences, but it's really important to be really open to how you're looking at a situation and trying to see it from different angles so you can understand what's going on for your child um, within the context. So the last one is opportunity. Opportunity is you know I think in every challenge, every obstacle, there is opportunity crisis. there's always is very fertile ground as a therapist. It's fertile ground for change to happen. I think looking at every situation and asking yourself, what is the opportunity here? What can I give? What can I talk about that is working? that is showing these, um, the, the attitude and value of my child, how can I talk to them through the lens of opportunity when there's challenges?
0: Yeah. Also and teaches
1: when... them to be solution focused.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's what, um, something that I do with the kids that I work with and I do with my own kids and you know, I'll listen and maybe I'll reflect and empathize and I'll just say, okay, now it's time to come up with some solutions. Mm -hmm. you know, and really just try to stay focused on, you know, either what is the opportunity here or what's a solution? What are a couple of solutions? Mm -hmm. um, What can we control? uh, Mm -hmm. Like you're saying, and as I'm listening to you talk, I realize, you know, for somebody who maybe is really struggling right now with their teen, this just takes practice, right? Mm -hmm. So I can ask Lisa questions off the cuff and she can come up with great answers. And you're sitting there and you're like, Oh, yeah. Why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I do that? But it's a lot of practice, don't you think?
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's why I think it's really important for parents, especially when you're in the middle of it, to hit the pause button. I mean, to take a break, to not try and figure it out in the flurry of it all. But even if you say, I'm going to go to the bathroom and I'll be back in five minutes. Go in the bathroom, take some deep breaths, really try to hone in on what's going on from an alternative perspective, not from your chaotic panic, oh my gosh, what are we going to do sort of perspective, but really in, within, within this framework of behavior, relationship, attitude, value, and opportunity, and then come back and try and address it with your child. Taking that pause sometimes makes all the difference.
0: Yeah, I agree. I tell parents they can take their their own timeouts. They can Mm -hmm. give themselves time out and just do some really good deep breathing. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: it's amazing sometimes with just two or three minutes of a break from a situation can do. Um,
1: And I think if I could just piggyback onto that, what happens is it also teaches our kids how to self-regulate. You know, we want them to self-regulate. But we're often not regulated when we want them to calm down. We're yelling at them and we're screaming and we're telling them to stop, but we're not regulated. So it also teaches kids how to do that in a very healthy way.
0: Oh, yeah. And when you're not regulated and you try regulating your (laughs) dysregulated child, they will let you know how not regulated you are. (laughs) they always, they always like to tell for sure. They always Mm -hmm. like to tell on like, yeah. And then this week my mom was screaming and she was going Mm -hmm. crazy. And then she was telling me to calm down, but she (laughs) was not calm down. Right. Um, So they definitely pay attention. So Mm -hmm. you talk in your book about that you say some version to the parents that you work with of don't worry, nothing is going to get better. I promise. You know, I started sort of laughing and then I read what you were writing about and I thought it was, uh, An interesting way to remind parents. So tell me, tell us what you mean by that.
1: Well, I often have parents uh, that come into my office and they're very um, attached to being right and they're very attached to their way of parenting and that. You know, they need to just respect me. This, these are the rules of the house. This is what they need to do. And then they <laughs> sort of want to hand their child over and sort of like they want me to teach them, like you would send a child to a teenager to puppy school. And um, I often tell them this is not puppy school. Like it doesn't work that way. This is, this is your entire family system that's interacting in a certain certain way. And if you don't change anything, that pattern, the pattern is going to stay the same. So if you are invested in keeping your family structure exactly as it is, you're going to have more of the same. And I can't help you then.
0: Yeah, I think it's a, um, a really good reminder to parents um, although I don't have that problem, I don't feel as much. I feel like people come in and they do want to change, but what they're struggling with is like one of the biggest things I hear is their connection with their teenager. They no longer know how to connect with them. Mm-hmm. They feel either they're being pushed away. Kids always behind the locked door. They're always in front of a screen. Mm-hmm. They ask them to do things. Oh, let's go, you know, take a bike ride. Let's go do this. And they're just constantly getting rejected. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you suggest to parents that they do stay connected with their teens when they feel rejected?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and I think um, a lot of parents struggle with that because they constantly feel like they're competing with electronics and friends, and, you know, with all the online school this year, it's even gotten worse. What I would say to that is try to be in your teenager's world. Like, that is the most important piece. My son was really difficult as a teenager, and I had a hard time connecting with him, and one of the things that was really helpful was I would go into his room, and lay his. Dinky floor with all of his, you know, dirty clothes and socks laying everywhere. And I wouldn't say one thing about what was going on. I wasn't going in there to parent. My intention and my purpose was just to be in his world and just to connect with him and just to convey to him that what was important to him was important to me. So I would watch him play video games and I would ask him questions and I would say, Oh, who are you talking to now? Oh, what what are you guys laughing about? And I would be in his world. Um, it's different when you come in and say, why is your room such a mess? You're not supposed to be eating in here. What is going on? You know, they brace for that because that's, that's parenting. That's the intention of parenting. But if you're coming in with the intention of connection, it's a much different, it's a much different purpose. The other time I think parents you know, lament so much about having to cart their kids back and forth to sports and school, but that is a great opportunity for you to connect because they are at your disposal, there's no hiding. I have lots of parents where I, I just recommend that nobody uses electronics on that drive to school or the, or the ride home. And even if you have to put them in the trunk to begin with, you might get some resistance initially, but that can become the time, not the time when you talk about the grades and you talk about what chores they didn't do, but the time where you really use to connect and understand what's going on in their world um, and ask them really important questions about who they are and really try to get to know them during those times. That is a great time to spend with your teenager. The other thing is when you're sitting next to your teenager, you have a lot more of a chance of talking to them because it's not that intense eye contact that is really difficult for some teenagers. And it feels like confrontation to them. It's a really great way to just kind of kidnap them <laughs> and get them to to show up and connect with you.
0: Yeah, I, I would say for parents that are listening, a lot of you may feel that ship has sailed that you can say to your kid, turn your electronic off, you know, put your phone in the trunk. Like, mm-hmm. but I, right. so I feel like two things first, if you don't yet have this issue, mm-hmm. then maybe start this now. It's yeah. so much easier to start off Absolutely. right away. Uh-huh. The other thing is I'm a fan of creating contracts around technology with your teenager and maybe in some re- renewed contract or Mm -hmm. you're making it for the first time and they're 16, doesn't matter, in my opinion, it doesn't matter. And you can say something about what car time is actually for, Mm -hmm. but I will say that from the teen side, they see, I just had this Friday in a session, they'll say, oh, yeah, sure, my parent might not drive and text, but at every single (laughs) stop sign and light, they're checking. Yes, and um, they notice those things, right. and it's consistent. That wasn't just a one-off example, right? I right. hear it consistently.
1: Absolutely. So parental behavior is just as important. So we can't tell our kids not to have their devices if we have ours.
0: Mm-hmm. You,
1: everybody, has to put it in the trunk, even the parent.
0: <laughs> yep, even the yep. parent. That's really mm-hmm. interesting. Your book is excellent. Again, the Bravo Effect. And it's written that you broke it up into two sections, and you call the first section a saying goodbye, and then Mm -hmm. the second section a saying hello. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: what made you think of doing it that way with hello and goodbye? And what what do you mean by that?
1: Well, I think the first half of the book really um, is designed to help you evaluate kind of where you are in this process, in this parenting process, what you've co-created, the dynamic that you have with your teen that has been created. And I think in that first half, I talk a lot about understanding, you know, when behavior is um, just kind of normal teenage developmental behavior and when it is outside of that realm of what's normal or typical when it's risk-taking when um, it's time to seek professional help when it's time to um, to get some other ears you know um, to talk to other people about what's going on because um, I think it's really difficult for it's it's such a this developmental stage is so important because it sets our teenagers up for their adult life. But it's also, there's so many pitfalls and trapdoors that can happen during that time that it's really important to know kind of where you're at, where your teenager is at, and have a lot of self-awareness around what's going on in your relationship. Once you've already kind of, you have a good understanding of, of where you are in your process and where they are, then you can uh, align this framework of the Bravo effect. Um, but if you try to just align the Bravo effect without really understanding where you're starting, I think it can create some more problems down the line and you're not going to see as big of a shift in and change all around in the entire family system.
0: Yeah. So you're kind of, saying goodbye to your old ways, your old patterns, and you're saying hello to the new possibilities um, Mm -hmm. of what your relationship can be like. Right. There's so much more good information in this book. Uh, You talk about mental health issues, addiction, substance use, you know, all the kinds of things that teens are faced with. I just encourage anybody who has a teenager to read this book. And um, I thank you so much for being a guest on our show.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me here. I appreciate the opportunity. And um, if you're looking for the book, you can find it on amazon.com or on my website at thebravoeffect.com.
0: That's so great. So go check it out for sure. And please rate, review and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks so much.